guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Football Economy. I'm very excited today. I've got somebody with me who's got probably one of the most fastest growing Manchester United fan channels out there. I've got Mick Ruby from MUFC Realist TV. Mick, how you doing? How you going, Mr. Bilal? Good to be on your podcast, finally. We've been talking about this for a very uh, long you. time. Yes, yes, I've been following your work and we've been speaking. And, um, you know, thank you for taking time out for doing this. Pleasure to be here, sir. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, all It's not doom and gloom. We all Manchester United fans and we all want what's best for this club, don't we? <laughs> At the end of the day. Absolutely, absolutely. Mick, um, I've been following your work since I probably came across you when I started looking into the when the takeover thing started happening and, and I started seeing you pop up into spaces, the saw side seeing your content and stuff. So I really wanted to get you on one year on and we're gonna to touch upon the takeover everything. But before we actually start, I wanna to touch upon the weekend's results. So I don't wanna go into look, there's been a lot of coverage on this on what went wrong, what went right. But I wanna hear from somebody like yourself. Where do you think um, things are actually going wrong? It's funny that you kind of mentioned that because I did a morning show about this this morning as well. Um, I did a post-match analysis afterwards. And I always say that, Bilal, that I don't like to do post-match analysis, especially when we lose. Or I always like to sort of take, you know, sleep on it and just reflect. And maybe I see things differently. Um, but this time I woke up, I didn't see it differently, Bilal, to be honest. Where did it all go wrong? I don't know. It's It's just the... The overall team selection, I would say, knowing that you you know that uh, Newcastle, they don't rotate. They have like a half squad injury already. And you know that they're going to line up pretty much with the same squad, meaning Bruno Gimaraes in the midfield together with Joe Linton and what's his name, Young, young um, Miley as well. So he, That's right, yes. Yeah, so, so Ten Hag basically had the team sheet already in front of him. And I think... I, myself, and many pundits out there was just predicting that we will go with the double pivot of, um, makes sense, logical sense to use, uh, you know, Amrabat, because Amrabat was his signing, to be honest. And also, Kobe Maino, and use Bruno Fernandes there as a number 10 to be the creator. But I think we were all shocked to see, like, you know, that the, the lineup that came out, it was totally unbalanced, wrong, to start, you know, again, Martial on top. Everyone knows that he lost the yard of pace. It was like watching a snail's funeral, David Attenborough's documentary. Nothing offering there. <laughs> to be fair, Rashford, everyone talked about Rashford and he should never come off. And I'm just wondering, like, why are you shoehorning Rashford into the right? You know, uh, when clearly his spot's been taken by Alejandro Gonacho that offers so much more at the moment. And keeping players like, you know, Anthony Dos Santos on the bench has been shown great form. And also Pelistri. But bear in mind also, Bilal, that we have likes of Amadiyal also challenged for that spot. So where did I go wrong? According to my opinion, it was the overall lineup, I would say. Um, positive to see that, you know, Luke Shaw is back 100% by playing left-sided centre-back alongside Maguire. Maguire was absolutely the man of the match. Uh, where did he go wrong? He should have gone with the strongest position, to be honest. And one thing that's frustrated me, I, I am Ten Hag in, but I'm starting to get Ten Hag doubt based on the team selection because I want us to play the strongest team the first 45 minutes at least, right? So we were a team that looked like we came there sort of to 
potentially win, but not we were going to win. You know what I mean? It was like we might win. So I thought that the result against the Galatasaray played on the manager's selection that you said we're not going to concede goals, right? So defensively, we were quite good, okay? But the rest is history. We saw Rashford, and I was saying, well, 45 minutes is enough to watch an analyst, analyst uh, for Tenang to watch an analyst the game and to say, like, okay, this ain't working 45 minutes. Let's do changes. But no, actually started the same team. And this is where, you know, Newcastle came and scored the first 10 minutes in the second half. And this has, has to do with in-game management, according to my opinion. But Can we I all just know. Just coming to that. Yeah, sure. I'm just coming to that. Sure. I, 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 I am, same as you, I am a diehard Manchester United fan. Me On too. this podcast, we've covered one of our business element. But I just coming to that game, I tell you what my issue is. I am 100% Ten Hag in... And you know, but you know, at some point you do have to start criticizing the manager constructively on on where things might be going wrong. The biggest issue I found was I was sat there on Sunday afternoon in the UK mm. time, and I watched Tottenham, and I watched Tottenham who have a lot of injuries, who played full backs as a back four, yep. and stuck yep. to one style, and they took the game to Man City, right? Manchester United with much more resource. True. A manager that's been in much longer, to me, helps it. Is is feeling the pressure, and what I am seeing is a repeat pattern, which I'm hoping you agree with me. Is I saw this under Solskjaer, I saw this under Mourinho. Bingo. The players the managers bring in, for some reason, not being selected. You're defaulting to players from other managers, Maguire, but McTominay. Rashford. That's a very that's a very good question, but you have to dive deeper into that question. Is the manager actually picking the team, or is he being told who to pick? Because bringing back, bringing back uh, to the era of Oligona Solskjaer, who did they appoint there? You know, as a technical director, who's still? Um, it was uh, Fletcher. Yes, who's still there? Okay. Fletcher. Yes. And what is his role? I mean, what is his merit? Like, you know, and Fletcher makes sure that, I don't know if there's something part of the contract, and Marcus Rashford signed a new contract on 350k a week. Is there a stipulation in that contract that you have to play the poster boy? You know, there's certain players that you see cannot be dropped. Scott Metomini is one of them. As soon as Scott comes on, does he ever get subs off? Never. He'd rather take off anyone else but keep Scott Metomini on and Rashford. It's, it's just like shoehorning for some reason. And this is just speculations, don't mate. This is not just speculations. But you're absolutely right. You know, when they can play with fullbacks, when they can play with, you know, hardly having a bench, and we mm. saying there's excuse, well, we have injuries. We have injuries players coming back. But still, Ten Hag recruited Sofia Namrabad. He's not using Sofia Namrabad. You paid $75 million for Rasmus Hoyland. You started up. Martial, right? It does not make sense. So I'm trying to say, make it make sense what happened on, on Saturday because I certainly can't. And I was still dwelling on it. And I and I go like, no, Bilal, you, you live by this sword, you will die by this sword. But at the end of the day, you will be judged. Like, the you know the fan base, they will judge them based on the lineups, the in-game management, and no results. And I'm afraid that it's the rinse, wash, and repeat that are going to happen again. You know, you know, you know, 
when we are, well, if you look at history, and this is where a lot of fans are starting to lose hope. If you just look at the history of the last 10 years, we appointed Moyes, and the yes. excuse was Moyes, the, the job's too big for him. We bought Van Garlid, or the games passed him by. We did a single mm. winner. We bought Mourinho in, or we bought him in three years too late. Then we bought Sol Sharin, and he was kind of default. But and if you look at it realistically, he he actually had some sort of style. It was just a counter-attacking style, and he had some sort of idea on what he was actually doing, whether mm. people like it or not. And then we said, right, he's coached. Everybody's coached really badly. We need somebody that can come in and coach the team and a style of play. So we spent. So we wrote one season off when Ragnik came in to wait for Ten Hag. We bring Ten Hag in, and now we're back to square one again. And I'm failing to see what the solution is. We can't keep bringing in another manager. What? How does this actually change? The only you absolutely just spawn on there, like you know. But it comes down to again the same question that I asked: Who is actually telling the manager how to play? And um, because Ten Hag came out in an interview to say. I'm not here to play the Ajax way, but excuse me, that's what we recruited you for. You're a tracksuit manager. He said, I'm here to play the Manchester United way. And I said, well, that Manchester United way was like died since Sir Alex Ferguson left. So we've been trying to find an identity ever since then. Right. So that's why I'm saying, I think football players are assets of the club. If we talk about finances and there's certainly some pressure above to say you have to pick this player, you have to pick that player. This is the most valuable asset that we have, right? But where does it go wrong? So, and how to fix it? I think the cycle needs to be broken, hundred percent. We cannot go run around in this, uh, you know, sacking and hiring, sacking and hiring. Everyone knows it doesn't work. We've seen that blueprint before. The only thing that stops here right now is to actually get new ownership in. And the reason why I'm saying that everyone knows new footballing structure, new vision, new project. So basically, if you go back in 10 years, 11 years time since, you know, David Gill left and, and Sir Alex left, they lost the control. They lost the footballing control to the bankers, right? So the bankers made the footballing decisions. And that's why you had the mismatch because you had managers that you recruited in their serial pedigree CV winners. Like we're talking about Mourinho, Van Gaal. You know, Ragnik was arguably not a um, winner, but he was a winner of building successful clubs, right? And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as you said, per, per default, like a legend of the club. There was more to, you know, divide and conquer of the fan base. Yeah, let's bring on a, you know, somebody that we can relate to and forget everything that Glazers are doing. And, you know, the gravy train thing, you know, divide and conquer thing, I'd say, to manipulate the fan base. But it just comes down to if you have in any type of business, right, everything starts from the board and goes down to the mailroom. You know that. So if you have a disjoint, if you don't have the lack of engagement, if you don't like have the lack of uh, the same vision, the same communication, that needs to go down all the way from the CEO down to the mailroom. And basically, you're, you're, we are in the same boat. So if you have an ambition as a coach to win trophies, but the people above you don't have the same vision because they only want to get into top four because top four makes you money and TV rights, and they're satisfied with that. So that's been the evil cycle for the past 10, 11 years, to be honest, if you think back on it. They have no ambition to win any trophies. And this comes down to Glazers. And I say, well, Glazers has always been sitting in the back seat, never taking the front seat. But if they would run this club with a little bit of a business mind, winning trophies means that you generate more money, get more sponsorships, but instead of being using it as a personal 
ATM machine. And that's what they only been using it for. So to break this cycle, again, I'm coming down to, we need 100% full takeover, right? And we need a new structure, a new sporting director, a total revamp. And the reason to say what I'm saying there, if you just look back at Newcastle, who we played over the weekend, we like two years ago or three years ago, argue to the point where were they sitting in the table? They were bottom, were they? Yes. Look with a proper structure, with a proper investment, with a proper plan, and you get the right manager that can coach and train people, and you organically recruit. Look what they are now. And that's the thing. Manchester United is not the big club anymore that we used to be. Commercially, yes, we are. Right? We still attract good sponsorship deals and stuff like that. But footballing-wise, I would say that we are 10 years behind because everyone is surpassing us right now. So the cycle needs to break right here, right now, if we stand a chance. You know, coming back, to just just this one point I want to touch on before we come on to this takeover that's been going on for a year. I was looking at Marcus Rashford on Saturday. And, you know, somebody that's the age of 26, who's been there a very long time, who's a local player, came through the academy, understands what it means to wear that badge. I felt his performance was a disgrace. And the reason I felt it was a disgrace was people go on and slate Harry Maguire for two years, got slated, right? But he still turned up, turns up, he puts in to the best of his ability at performance. And on Mm. Saturday, you saw Rashford constantly let Wan-Bissaka be two-on-one all the time. There were certain situations where his body language was a disgrace. And coming on to Jamie Carragher's point from yesterday, Mick, just to finish off. Look at Son, who played up front against Van C, one of the toughest oh, yeah. grounds to go to, zero service. It is. Look, he constantly ran, constantly put in effort. Yep. You know, and I just feel at some point you have to start calling these players out. How long could this go on for? I I totally agree with you. And I, I applaud the pundits for not protecting them anymore. You know, they've been called out. Like, they have been called out. Roy Keane called them out. Carragher called them out. Everyone is calling up. The fan base is starting to see. I've never been the player FC type. I've always been Manchester United first. Like, you know, club, manager, team. I, I love my team. You know, I'm passionate red. And two Patriots for that one. But you got to call a spade a spade. Like, you know, you, you're allowed to criticize you know, some of these players been wrapped in cotton wool and you're not allowed to criticize them. Oh, yeah, he's an England international. He's one of ours and stuff like that. No, it doesn't matter. You know, you play for the badge. You play for the badge. You give you everything for the badge. And Marcus Rashford, I'm sorry. I've been saying that this season, where is he? Where is he gone? Where's the mentality gone? Where's this guy that used to do this, like score 30 goals? He's totally gone. It's not the same Rashford. And that leads me to the conclusion. Marcus Rashford loves the club. Marcus Rashford loves himself and his sponsorship deal. But Marcus Rashford don't like this team that he's currently playing in. And he clearly doesn't love the manager that's told him to, to do certain things and took away his, his spot. He's no longer the poster boy, the guy that saves the day. Ten Hag's philosophy is pretty much we attack as a team, we defend as a team, we play as a team. And it's just been so sad to see. It's like a crash test dummy, you know, just running through a brick wall. And I think he's been found out by defenders. Like, 
so one-dimensional, right? And you, you kind of feel for him to say, like, you know, I'm hurting with you. Mate, what are you doing? Just take a bow, take a break, take a, take a step outside. Whatever going, is going on in your private life, it's not, it's not our business, but it's clearly affecting the whole team, right? Then on the other hand, Bilal, you have to question as well the dismissal of Jaden Sancho due to lack of performance and training. And then how can you defend Rashford in that sense? And that makes me wonder, is he being told to pick Rashford because of his contract and he might have a stipulation to say he cannot be dropped? That's a big question that I have. But 100% you know, he should you know, be dropped. Mick, you've watched football a long time and so have I. Players yes, come out of form, players go out of form. Both it's not linear, one it comes and goes. That, yeah. One thing that should never stop is effort and how you... And desire help across on a pitch, you know, exactly. It's very bit the reason Roy Keane clips go viral, the reason Steven Gerrard clips go viral, you know, Steven Gerrard more so because Steven Gerrard played in a very average team where he had to really pull them out. I'm using Gerrard on the United podcast, is form comes and goes. But you know how you when you put that shirt on and you and you apply yourself, you're paid, you yeah. are paid top dollar, so you have to perform as a top, whether you're Inform or not inform, the basics never change. Whether track your man, run. True. Don't. I. He very be a team player. I mean, he, yeah. He, Mick, he very rarely, very rarely goes for a 50-50 ball as well. If you notice a fifty-fifty ball, he very rarely goes for a header. He pulls out a tackles. So then, if you're gonna that with the way the media is. The way social media is, I've seen clips already where people are showing his tracking. You, you, the scrutiny is there, so you can't hide away from it anymore. You can't. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, just keep it. If if your form, I mean, there's. I always say that anyway. That it's like form is never linear. Like form is like gravity, Newton's law. What comes up must come down, and that's the that's the way it is in life. The same thing. If you go to work 365 days a week. You're not going to be able to perform like, you know, every single day to your top perform and achieve your KPIs. Oh, of course, you're going to have dips, but it's just doing the basic. It's just you, 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 you come there and you apply yourself for the company, for the paycheck. But as soon as I think he got that 350K increase, he became complacent, right? He's mm -hmm. thinking, well, I'm an asset. So anyway, I survived managers such as Louis van Gaal. I survived Jose Mourinho. Oligona Solskjaer, Ragnik, these players survive them. And these players will make sure that if they're not happy, they will pretty much let the manager go through the door and they will still be there because they signed a five-year contract. And and guess what? At the end of the day, who, who, who do you think the club's going to pick? Somebody that is an asset over a, a manager that they can pay off 20, 000, 20, $20 million and just let him go, right? And that's just the sad state of affair because... Yes, I watched the same game as you. And yes, I watched it over and over again. And I clearly remember one incident where I think it was Joe Linton on the left-hand flank spun him off and Marcus Rashford was pretty much set down on his ass. And Joe Linton started running to the six-yard box. Marcus Rashford just stood up and just stood there and watched. He didn't even run. He just yeah. stood there and watched. And there was many, many incidents. He was just walking. He was not even trying and the, what, what gets me is the when he got subbed finally, finally, that he threw his gloves, petulant, and the camera was zooming in when he was clearly lip syncing where they were reading 
what the F am I doing here? This was the moment you say, get out of my club, mate. You know, Mick, if you look at the greatest fullbacks from Cafu, Nizarazu, Roberto Carlos, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even they would struggle against a two-on-one situation. Good example, you know, by the way. We all criticise one Basaka, Dalo, you know. But when teams are overloading here, there's two-on-one. It's very difficult for the fullback. And secondly, when you're putting the ball out to the front guys and they're not holding it, they're not passing it, they're not keeping hold of the ball, it's a constant turnover and eventually you're going to get punished. But look, I don't let let's move on because he just No, but I just want to finish on that point. That's okay. I had my rant, I had my say, but it comes down to the team selection. If you saw in the first forty five minutes we played with eight men. Eight men. Yeah. That it comes down to the manager's selection. Yeah. I mean that's what I'm saying. Manager knew exactly who, how they're gonna line up. They they don't have any squad to rotate. So why the hell did he go with that midfield? An eighteen year old kid that makes his second appearance in the Premier League that's been out injured a super talent you should be wrapping him in cotton wool right to leave him in a single pivot by himself and to go with Scott McTominay who never nobody really understands what Scott McTominay is other than a bench player an impact player but he's certainly not a defensive midfielder he's certainly not a box to box he's just a I call him a spot player uh, great in the six yard box can run through spaces into spaces but he's got a great shot, like, you know, within the six-yard box or outside. That's pretty much all he can do. Um, so instantly we were exposed, like, you know, and their midfield, basically, came so. Mick, I think, just to finish on this, I think yeah, he likes sure. his, I agree with everything you've said. I think he's, he, I'm all, but I think the only reason I can think why he's playing him is the physicality. Because there's a lot of players we have that are scared. I saw Dabo go for one ball. And he yeah, physicality. You know, I, I think it's purely physicality because if me and you, who are not professional coaches or players, can see the gaps in his game, yeah, I don't see how the manager cannot see it. But look, let, let's move on. I don't okay, just, just because just... when you say physicality, then riddle me this. Why didn't he start Rasmus Hoyland as the front number nine physicality? Instead, he chose with the Martial. It's, it's, nothing makes sense there. So basically, that's the reason why we lost the game. We had Martial that didn't do nothing. We had Rashford yeah. that didn't even track back. We exposed Ganacho that least tried, right? We had a midfield that was cut in pieces, and you had 45 minutes to do the changes. So I put this one on Ten Hag, to be honest. I really I'm, do. I, I, I agree with you 100%. But one other thing, just to touch on then, because you, you, you reminded me. Another issue which we as fans turn a blind eye to is Bruno Fernandez's positional play without the ball because his positional play without the ball is very problematic because he's all over the place because mm-hmm. everybody goes on about the midfield or McTominay's bad agreed right uh, whoever plays with him is bad right agreed but Bruno Fernandez is in that midfield as well his positional play without possession is terrible because he has such gaps which which the gaps caused such such issues, but sometimes he's good. Sometimes, I mean, like Gattuso said. Yeah, listen, yeah, you know that player. the famous uh, Gattuso quote: "Sometimes very good, sometimes shit." You know, hundred. Yeah. So what I mean is to accommodate him for his ill discipline on the ball, you need two players that play the holding position, double position. positions very well. Yes, because you can't carry a player 
like Bruno Fernandes because he's so good when he has the ball. So, you know, you can't, but the other players need to do their jobs really, really well. Coming on, coming on to move the conversation forward. Yeah, let's move on. Topic, Rick, which, which, we've, we, which, we've, which we've covered over the last year or so is this takeover, which oh, never God. seems to be happening. And it is happening. And I had some questions prepared. Then I saw the Sky News article this afternoon. And oh, the work will change. Okay, it. let's let's go ahead. I'm going to try shedding some new light onto this. And I don't want to go over because it's been covered so much. Go let's, on. Let's start with, let's, why do you think there is such a, there, there is a delay going on at the moment with this? Um, Well, first and foremost, it depends. You, you. You know, I've been covering this for over a year. I've been doing over 200 podcasts yes. regarding this. Um, so for me, it's getting like ugh, boring. Uh, one thing that I've learned over this um, takeover is actually who is benefiting from this. Is It's been the media has been benefiting this because as soon as you okay. attach yourself to the name Manchester United, it generates so much clicks and engagements. Even the club itself generated a lot of social media engagement. Um. For me, it's been one spin story after the other, and the one that's been leading this latest is actually Sky News. They were the one that came out first to say that 92 Holding Foundation is out, and it's been one stream flow after another just promoting Ratcliffe and Ineos and 25%. Why? I don't think it's it's that advanced as of yet. I think it's more of the media setting the targets and the agenda. They're treating it like a transfer window. But if you understand business, it doesn't really work like that. You know, um, if you just look at the whole sales takeover process, the um, I'll call it the sports journalist publications and stuff like that became all of a sudden takeover experts and treating it like a window, like Fabrizio Romano. Here we go, almost personal terms, not a problem. All we can see, here we go, that's it. Um, so it's been like you know, reported, uh, imminent this Monday, Tuesday. Oh. By the way, uh, next week, oh, next week comes, oh, maybe next year, maybe never, you know? And today, over the weekend, after community, after we lost, it was spun out that Sir Jim Ratcliffe looking forward to start on Monday. And it's like... I saw that as well, yeah. Mate, you know, first and foremost, you got to do a proper club announcement. Second and all, you got to report it to New York Stock Exchange. I mean, this just shows you that they are playing on the fans' emotions. They don't understand people that, lead, you know, read the headlines. And it's just been diabolical, man. It's like divide and conquer. Like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, human rights issues and then greenwashing issues. And it's just been dividing the United fan base. But all we have to do is to look at great glazes at 100% because that's what we want to. Like, mm. I, I don't understand how you can settle for 25%, Bilal. So just riddle me this. If you go to a steakhouse, right? Do you go to order a T-bone steak and say, I'm going to eat a 25% or you're going to eat 100% of that steakhouse? Or as a fan, do you go to, to a game and expect to see 25% performance of Manchester United or do you demand 100% output? I would say 100%, mate. you know? For me, this 25% does not make any sense whatsoever. It's too complicated. That's the reason why it's it's um, delayed. He bought himself time to get a foot in the door. That's my opinion. Because he's been... He stayed in the race. He stayed in the race, yes. 
And I don't believe that the other party's out for some reason. I don't think it's ain't over to the fat lady things, but that's my opinion. Because they don't need to do PR. They are quite confident they put it evaluation well over they will buy out all the siblings. On the other hand, Ratcliffe has been, you know, stalling it, according to my opinion, being the bottleneck, just trying to buy, you know, his time in. So basically, he's the one that's been restructured from 69 to 51, that got challenged by the minority shareholders, Lindsay Trainbow and Arius, you know, because they all want to pay out at the end of the day. So he came out now all of a sudden, David Hellier was reporting that the bid was dead out of the board. And all of a sudden, Bloomberg, as an editorial, once you start reporting things, then you have to follow up on it. And he reported that 25% has been constructed, but it's so complicated. And even, you know, people like Sky News and stuff has been reporting, leading the race. Even the calculations is not wrong. <laughs> it's it's wrong. Like 1.2 1, 1. million, 1. 1.5, 1.6, what's going to be? And... It's just been like one thing after another, and it's do you, been. Do you, do you think it could be a? You think it could be a phase buyout? If it is John Kim Radcliffe, a phase buyout. I, I I was hearing something that you know both jo, Joel and Avram they want an exit, they want it out, but then in that if that's the case, it doesn't make sense. Then then you got to look at ninety two Holding Foundation because they offered a full percent buyout for everyone right and one thing what we know about glazenomics is they the only thing they care about is the money that's the money and how much they're going to walk away with everyone in that family i kid you not they have equal shares like you know they are six siblings and whenever they have a birthday party they split equal you know if you had six siblings before you will argue to the point where why did you dr get a drop coke more than i in the in the glass you know what i mean it's got to be split equal right so I think it's been more media-driven than actual factual-driven from a business sense um, because I always apply my business logic, my financial, my change management skills. I come from a people and cultural background, you know, transformation and change. You know, I've seen these mergers and acquisitions. I spoke to the Swedish Rumble, so have you. Spoke to multiple people in this industry, and everyone says this doesn't make any sense. Even if it's a face buyout, it still has to apply by Cayman Island, you know, fair trading, fair, fair buyout clause as well. So 12.5% here, 12.5% there. Riddle me this. I don't, I don't understand. Usually I make sense, but this one is just like, it feels a little bit like I'm going to smoke that if I am. I think you're right in what you're saying. I think the media has not helped the situation by pointing out fake dates. Shake Justin's out, shake Justin's in. I think we will know in the next seven days from what well, the media are saying today. One one thing is for sure, If I don't like to mix geopolitics into this, but if you understand how the world is, you know, how the economical world is ticking through geopolitics, if you control certain elements, if you control the information flow, you control pretty much everything. You know what I mean? So... You, you got to ask, where is this coming from? Like, you know, who is spreading this information? So it's pretty much the same in the transfer market. You know, I scratch my back, you'll scratch yours. Like, you know, agents use media all the time to leak out stories, you know, and they get free publicity, right? You know, there's NDAs signed. That means that, hey, it's an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. 
signed by both Glazers Rain Group and certain small group. I mean, Betty probably at Manchester United as chief legal knows. Richard Honor probably knows as well. But there's a handful of people that only knows. The rest is speculations. And I call them the gravy train. I'm sorry for calling them the gravy train, the scenographers, because that's what they are nowadays. You know, it's laser journalism. They just create headlines, but they don't create proper stories. It's just recycle, recycle. And it's like the domino effects. If I'm starting the first one to report, I'm the source. And the rest of the publications just co-tweets me, right? That's right. The aggregator accounts, right? <laughs> Aggregates, yes. And this is what's been going on since they came out to say that 92 Holding Foundation is out. But have you ever heard any statement from them to say they are out? No. They don't need PR. They don't need PR. So the PR has been pretty much coming from the Ineos camp. They gain a lot of publicity for just being attached to the name of Manchester United. Prior, I may argue to the point to this takeover, not many people knew who Ineos was, the name, right? But how much have the benefit for, for, for being in the limelight? You know, we're talking about contracts being awarded, like, you know, in fracking in USA, stuff like that. They're just being attached to the name gives you a lot of free PR. And of course, you're going to milk it. But the question is, that's why I say there's a lot of smoke, but where's the fire below, right? Again, the media is reporting imminent Monday, Tuesday, Friday, next year, next Thursday. Oh, he's starting now this today. Today. School starts this summer. Hooray. Let me ask you a final question. Because the clear cover line said it's been covered in depth by everybody. Let me ask you a final question then. Based on your opinion, on what do you think will happen? I don't think that Ineos will take control. Okay. That's that's my gut feeling. I'm I don't think that this is over far by I think that this deal is with Ratcliffe is just what we said to get his foot through the door to be considered because I think that they are waiting for, you know, feedback. The end of strategic review has been taken two years, being conducted by Joel Revich and Rainy Group. But they have now, I think, concluded their, um, their review. So I think that both bidders are sitting there waiting for feedback and both camps sitting there confident. One camp is led to believe that they are out, but I don't think nobody really knows. They don't need PR, you know what I mean? But the other one that's going for 25 is, is blowing a lot of smoke. You know how it is? It's always the loudest that is less confident. You just take back, you know, bullies are, are loud, but inside they're weak. The loudest in the room is the weakest in the room. Yes, exactly. That's the saying. And this is the same analogy that I use here. I think that there's certain unbiased or oh, biasness is, and it was can I say xenophobic uh, agendas like you know yeah, against yeah, Manchester United so. and they want this British and it goes down to protecting your British players and stuff like that by giving critics to Onana and all the foreign players it's it's there rooted within the British media society unfortunately you know I, I'm I'm an independent journalist and when I went to school at least my gaffer told me you know always look at two sides of the story and the truth is always in the middle, right? So it's up to you how you interpret the story. But this is my opinion. This is what I believe. And I've been saying that I don't think this um, Night to Holding Foundation is dead out of the water as of yet. It's just being reported by British media. Because if you backtrack it, 
if you just use your common sense, it came out of the back end of Sky News reporting this, and everyone was co-tweeting, co-reporting on it. If you even go on Bloomberg, the reference to the Sky News, if you look at Aram Ben Sen, which is Reuters, they also say, however, they keep the, they're, they're back to the original story that Night 2 Holding Foundation refuses to put more money into the bid. It's a different thing to withdraw from the process, meaning I'm not going to bid anymore. This is my final offer and that stands. Call me when you're ready. And this is where I believe we are right now, Bilal. I think is they've given Sergio Radcliffe time to ratify his 6951 to 25. And now it's time to decision time. Right? This is just my business analogy. I don't know what you say, but anyway, what I'm saying here is not news. It's just my opinion, though. I think we're going to find out in the next seven days. I, I think this cannot go past 15th, 16th of December. They uh, need money. They need money. And the thing is, it's, it's, it's just like a high-stake Texas Hold'em billionaires game. It's like a squid game, right? I know that you sitting there, Bilal, you know that I have four aces in my hand, right? And I know that you, <laughs> you, think you need my money, right? You're the Glazers, let's say. You, I know that you need to sell, but you don't know, right? I, I know that I'm confident what I have in my hand. So now it's just calling the bluff, right? Glazers don't have the upper hand anymore. We've seen the finances. They are broke, right? They're broke. Mm. And if they're going with this forecast, let's say, if you're speaking finance, based on 2026, the club might be worth 10 billion based on the forecast. Well, that's pretty much like planting a seed, being a farmer and hoping that it will be, you know, rain and balanced sunshine. Yeah, in business, projections don't mean nothing, you know, realistically, um, it's what you valued at today. And I understand there's a legacy value to Manchester United, but it's nowhere near what they think. And to get to 10 billion revenue, there needs to be a new TV deal that benefits and they need to be successful on the pitch. They can't be finishing 7th and 8th and be valued at 10 billion. And number three is there's only so many billionaires out there that actually want to buy a club and eventually they will run out as well. So you don't want to, yeah. you don't want I mean, a situation where... Just imagine yourself like, you know, understanding that you are realizing that you are the only one bidding against yourself on the 100%. It doesn't make sense then to outbid yourself, does it, right? So you basically say, well, mm -hmm. no, you know, Forbes evaluation says the club is worth 4.8 billion. I'm putting 6 billion on or 7 billion on. Nobody really knows the figure, right? They've been saying that's under evaluation, over evaluation, but who who is really knowing because there's NDAs in place. The only thing is we will find out sooner or later what we find out with Richard Arnold through a club statement. Yeah. I don't Absolutely. think it's going to come from Absolutely. Bain Jacobs or through Mike Keegan's. I don't think it's going to come from here we go. Fabrizio Romano or it's going to go through a club statement but first and foremost it also has to go to New York Stock Exchange the SE, SE, SEC right they need to be formed because they had to do that with Richard Arnold's resignation as well absolutely mm. if yes, people sir? want to follow you find out more about you how can they do that oh if you want to stalk me <laughs> yes that's that that's um, you, first and foremost, you have to pay a, a, a flight to, to come to Thailand because I live here now. It's been four weeks since oh, I moved yes. over here. I'm going to stay here for, for a year. Uh, but uh, in other words, uh, you can follow my on my YouTube channel. 
and it's called MUFC Realist TV. And I would say it's the fastest growing um, real Manchester United content. We practice freedom of speech and we allow you to be you. So just be real on YouTube. On Twitter, just type in Mick Ruby and you will find me because I don't have time to spend a lot on socials below. Like, you know, it's it's getting rough, rough. I wish I had an aggregating account that spreads everything out. So I'm basically just focusing on Twitter and YouTube and YouTube takes a lot of my time. Possibly. So you can follow me. Thank you so much for your oh, time. It's a pleasure. We're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to do this again very soon.